But God showed me not to call something unclean that he is clean. So just tell me, why did you ask me to come? And he said, what happened? He was praying. And God made himself known in an angel and told him to send for Peter. And he said, it's well that thou hast come. Peter started preaching to him. And what did he preach about? Did he preach that we have to follow the Jewish laws? And the, no, is that what he preached? No, he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. He preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He preached the salvation. And while he was speaking, you know, Cornelius didn't do this. Peter didn't do this. While Peter was speaking, what happened? The Holy Spirit of God came down upon them just like it did at the day of Pentecost. And instantly Peter recognized that this is God working. And he said, well, what hinders us to baptize them? We have, you know, and so he baptized them. He gets back to Jerusalem and they say, Peter, what did you do? You baptized somebody who was an uncircumcised person. And Peter explained, what else could I do? And then they worshiped the Lord. And then they worshiped him. And that's what we experienced this morning down there. You know, we got, we stood up and we prayed and I'm like, well, what more shall I say? You have just witnessed Jesus in a person's heart being proclaimed by faith. And then we have this other controversy thing about works. You know, James said, faith without works is dead. And so now we have to have works. And I've meditated upon that. It says Abraham was, he was imputed righteousness because of his, because of, you know, because of his works. But what were the works that Abraham did? There's only one work that we can do. There's only one. And that is when God spoke, Abraham obeyed. That's the only works that we can have. And we will not be saved without that works. And this is why. When the Holy Spirit calls us and we don't obey that Holy Spirit calling us, we cannot be saved. That's why we're saved by not just by faith, but by works also. Because works is faith that is in action. It is not that I have to do this, I have to do this, and I have to do this to become saved. That's not the works we're talking about. We're talking simply about the works of obeying the Spirit of God. Amen. And now I look out here, and children, do you know that I love you guys? I don't even know you. But there's a special place in my heart for children. You know why? Because I have Jesus in my heart, and Jesus said, let the little children come on to me. And whenever I'm in a congregation where there are a lot of little children, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to just bring you all up here in the front here and share with you a little bit. But maybe you would embarrass, be embarrassed to do that. I don't know. So if you want to, children, if you want to come up here and fill up these front benches, just come on up here. Every one of you that is old enough to take care of himself, at least, just come right up here. And I would like to give you a story, okay? And this is not a story from me. This is a story that comes from Jesus. And we just want to help you here a little bit. And you know what, men and ladies, if I don't have time to do much more than this, we're all the children of God, okay? And may this just be a lesson to all of us. But hopefully the Lord will share a little bit more. And we can, we can sit over on this side too. It's okay. Uh, wherever there's room. And for those of you who want to follow along, I'm going to turn to Luke. And I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to give you a little story here that Jesus actually lived out. And it is such an amazing story to me. In Luke chapter 5, it says, And it came to pass that as the people were pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And I always like to picture this. I like to visualize it, that there's a, there was a lake there. How many of you like to go fishing? Any of you like to go fishing? Oh, the boys, of course, like to go fishing, right? And so we have time between the lake not too far away. Upon, they pressed upon him. 
to hear the word of God, he stood by Lake Gennesaret, and two small ships standing by the lake, we would say like two small fishing boats were sitting here, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now these fishermen had washed, they had fished all night, and then they, had, they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him, nor he asked him that he would push it out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. And I've always wanted to do that. Someday I'd like to have the congregation go down to the river, down to the lake, and I would like to sit out in that boat, and I would just like to preach from that boat, just like Jesus did. Because now the people couldn't press him. He had no room. And he could sit there, and he'd preach. And he preached. I don't know how long he preached. But when he was finished preaching, this is what he did. Now when he had left off speaking, he said unto Simon, he said, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. I want you to take this boat and let's, I'll go with you. He said, we'll go out into the lake here and I want you to put down the nets and see if we can catch some fish. And look what Simon said. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. We have fished all night and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, now, now we have to get the picture. If we don't see the picture, we won't understand what was happening here. The Lake of Gennesaret, it is very hot there. And the lake is actually very deep. And so in the daytime when it's hot, the fish would go down way deep. Now their nets that they had had floats along the top. They had weights on the bottom. Maybe the nets were 10 feet deep. And they were quite long. And Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, James and John were brothers, Simon and Andrew were brothers. A little later on, it will say that they were partners in the fishing business. They were partners. And they had two boats, and they would take, one would take the net and the net, and they would go in a big circle and come around, and then they had a string on the bottom, and they would pull it, and it would close the net on the bottom. So they had to fish at night when it was cool, so the fish would come up on top eating bugs off the water, see? And then they would throw this net out, and they would make this loop, and then they could close the net on the bottom, and all the fish in the net were caught because there were floats on top, and then they would drag this net in, and they would catch fish. But they had fished all night, and they had not caught one fish. And now it's the middle of the day. It's probably in the afternoon, maybe 3 o'clock. It's hot. All the fish are too deep to catch, and it is literally, listen, folks, impossible to catch any fish. It was impossible. And that's why Peter, that's why Peter responded. He said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless... At thy word, I will let down the net. Remember when I said that Abraham, the only thing he did that was works was obedience. And that's what Peter did. He obeyed. Jesus said, let's go out the deep, put down the net, he obeyed. And children, that is my lesson for you today is that we learn to obey. The Bible says that the first commandment has a promise is for children to obey their mom and daddies. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. It did not make sense to Peter to put down the net in the afternoon when it was hot because it was impossible to catch fish. But he said, if you say so, let's go and do it. Now watch what happens. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, okay, so Peter and evidently Andrew was with him. They motioned to their partners, you know, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. So James and John, they came over there. They came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. 
Now, there were so many fish in that net that they filled both boats, and the boat started to sink. And when that happened, something happened in Peter's heart. Now, watch this. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When he saw that, all of a sudden, Peter recognized himself. And that, brothers and sisters, is the very first step of becoming saved, is when we recognize ourselves. When we do not recognize ourselves, we will never understand that we have a need. See? As long as Peter was a successful fisherman, going about his life, he had no need. But when this happened, see, this was impossible to happen. He had fished all the night and couldn't catch one at night at the prime time to fish. And now in the unprime time to fish, Jesus filled two boats with one cast of a net. And Peter was down on his knees. For he was astonished. And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken, they just could hardly believe this. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. See, they were all, all partners in fishing. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, don't be afraid. He said, from henceforth, from now on, thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And I always wonder, when you read this in Matthew, when you read this in the others, they don't give this account. Did you see that Jesus was walking along the lake of Gennesaret and he asked Simon and Peter to follow them and they left all and followed him. And then, then he asked James and John to follow him and they left their father Zebedee and left all and followed him. But it doesn't give this account. Once we hear this account, now we understand why they left all. Don't we understand that now? Amen. They left all. And children, that's what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to obey even when it doesn't make sense. Because what would have happened if Peter would have said, Lord, there's no way we're going to catch fish. I'm not going to look like a dummy. I'm not going to look foolish and go out there and fish in the middle of the day. I'm not going to do it. Sorry, thank you, and walk away. Did you know there would not have been a Simon Peter to preach to us? There would not have been a born-again Simon Peter? So, when Jesus calls us, when you were here just now saying when Jesus calls us to do something, you know, let's do it, let's go do it. That's what Simon Peter did. He called him to go fishing. He went fishing and he did it. And he did it. Isn't that amazing? So children, that's my story for you today. If it doesn't make sense, just believe it. When your mom and daddy ask something of you, it's because they love you and they want you to obey. And if you learn to obey them, it will be easier in the future to obey Jesus when he calls your name. It will be. You may go back to your parents and sit down if you want. Thank you for coming up here and being nice little children for me. And that message of obedience doesn't just go to the children. The message of obedience goes to all of us. When Jesus calls, let's obey. I wasn't sure where to go. I left my Bible home in Michigan. All the notes that I take, all the things that tell me where to look up this and that are all at home. I went on my iPad this morning and I read for a while and I said, you know what, Lord? <laughs> I don't know what these people need anyway. You know, we might have somebody in here that's just pretty sure of himself and he needs to be put down a notch. We might have somebody in here today that is very discouraged. He might just feel like there's just nothing in his life that is worthwhile. He needs to be encouraged or she needs to be encouraged. We might have somebody that just needs to be strengthened. We need somebody that needs to be, you know, we just need to be here for each other. And so there's one thing that we all need to be. And, and this message I had last Sunday, part of it, and I, it's just on my heart so much. 
I'm just going to share it, okay? I was at a wedding, and the minister said this. He said that when, when God made woman, he said, we get it confused. We call it a help meet, and that's not what the Bible says. It's not one word. And I looked it up, and it isn't. It says, let us make woman, let us make a help meet for him. Let us make a help. There's only one word, help, and then meet. Another word. Let's make a help meet for him. And he said that word meet, if you look it up in the adjective form, means fit, proper, qualified for a purpose. Women, God has made you a help that is fit. That's what meet means in adjective form. That is fit, proper, and qualified for a purpose. He didn't say that about Adam when he made Adam. Ladies, you are blessed. You are so blessed. He made you to be fit, to be proper, to be qualified for your husband. Amazing. And then I started thinking about this word meat. If we go to Matthew chapter 3, what did John the Baptist say when the Pharisees came to be baptized? He said, bring forth works, bring forth fruits, work, meat, he said. Meat for repentance that are fit, proper, qualified for repentance. And I had to think of that this morning when you did that baptism. You know, if, if, if his fruits are not meat for repentance, if they are not fit, proper, qualified for repentance, then they are not, he shouldn't be baptized. And then I kept thinking about this. In Luke chapter 15, when, when the Philodus saw him, you know, the, the, second, the, the second, the youngest son, when he left his dad with all his money and he blew it all, when he came back and the dad went out and greeted him and then he made, he threw this party. You know, the fatted calf was killed and, and then his brother was envious. His brother was envious. And what did the father say? He said, wasn't it me that we should make Mary because your brother who was lost is found, who is dead is alive again? See, wasn't it meet, wasn't it fit, proper, that we rejoice because your brother was lost and is found again? He was dead and is alive. And so I kept thinking about this word. I, there are many places in the Bible that it talks about the word meat, that it was meat that we should do this. Paul even said it when he was writing to uh, one of them. He wrote that if it is meat, I will come. If it didn't know it was proper or fit or if it was appropriate, then I will come. And I thought of a title. And I will share it this way. The title is Meet for the Kingdom. Meaning, are we fit? Are we proper? Are we qualified for the kingdom of God? Are we? If we are, how do we get qualified? Because we know that we're all sinners, doomed to hell. So how do we get qualified? Well, we get qualified when we recognize ourselves like Peter did, and we fall on our knees and says, and we don't do what he did. He said, Lord, go away from me, I'm a sinner. And we say, Lord, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I am sorry to be a sinner. I am sorry to be a sinner. And then we repent. When we repent, we recognize that we're a sinner. We say we're sorry, we're sinners, and we confess our sins. You know, all the evil, all the angry. How many of us have ever been angry in our life? 
Anybody been angry before? Might as well put up both hands, most of us. Have you ever had bitterness in your heart? Have you ever had envy in your heart? You know, I was Amish for well, 50-some years. I was Amish minister for 17 years, and I have never, ever in my life had somebody come to us and want to make a confession in church because they had envy. I've had envy is mentioned in the sins of death, right with fornication, adultery, and all those things, envy and strife. But I have never had somebody come and confess that they were envy. They had envy in their heart. It is a very subtle thing, that word envy. It is very, very subtle, but it can be in there. And so, you know, when you think of these things, if we have envy in our heart, are we meat for the kingdom? Are we? When the Bible says that these things are not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, are we meat for the kingdom when we have these things in our heart? You know, the Jews were so concerned. You know, Jesus came walking along, and the disciples, they started eating, and they didn't wash their hands. How terrible was that? Horrible. And they reprimanded Jesus that he didn't reprimand the disciples for doing that. He said, well, it's not what goes in you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you. And what comes out? Fornication, adultery, covetousness, inordinate affections, evil imaginations of the thoughts and the heart and the mind. That's what comes out. That's what defiles us. When we talk about the kingdom, men, where is the kingdom? I know I'm grabbing you unexpected, but that's okay. Where's the kingdom? The kingdom of God. Where do we find it? In Jesus? Where else do we find it? Where should it live? In our hearts. You know, Jesus said, if they say it's over here in the bedroom, don't believe them. That's not where it is. If it's over there, don't go there. That's not where it is. It's the kingdom of God is within our heart. If we are meat for the kingdom. If we are fit for the kingdom, it is within our heart. That's where it is. It's right in here. Don't let anybody take it away from you. And that's why Paul and Silas were in stocks. The jailer was outside the door and they were locked up. It was impossible for them to get away. And it was midnight and they were singing. We could just say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. They were just a singing on the way. And the Lord Jesus looked down at them. And what happened? There was an earthquake. The doors flew open. Their stocks opened up and they were free. They didn't run away. They had nothing to run away from. They had the kingdom in their heart. They didn't need to run. If you read in the martyr's mirror, the people that were killed for their faith, they would go to the burning stake, singing, praising God, and warning people because they had the kingdom within them. It's when we're empty. Oh, my, I don't even know where to go. There are so many places to go this morning. I don't know where to start. But let's think about this. This is the issue with people. God created man in his image. And what did he do? Do you know, boys, what God did when he formed man? He took this dirt and he formed man, and then what did he do to make man become alive? Do you know? <coughs> he breathed and then his nostrils. He, and, and because he did that, man became a living soul. He was different than a horse and a cow and a pig. They just die and go to dirt. Man doesn't. He became a living soul that's going to live forever and forever. And man was pure and he was holy. You know, man was just like a baby. He was innocent. He didn't have any clothes on, but he didn't know it. You put a baby on the table naked, they're not embarrassed. They don't know they're naked. They have no idea. They're innocent. They've never done any sin. They've never done any wrong. That's how Adam and Eve were. 
until they disobeyed God. Remember, disobedience is what's going to take everybody to hell. When, people, when God said repent and be baptized, you don't. You're being disobedient to his word, and you're going to go to hell for that. And God didn't create hell for us. He created hell for the devil and his angels. But anyway, because man sinned, what did God do? God and sin cannot be together. They cannot live together. So God had to remove himself from man. So what happened when he removed himself from man? He created a vacuum. You take a gallon plastic jug and you put a vacuum thing on the cap and you suck all the air out. You know what happens to that jug? It'll suck as flat as could be. That's how they vacuum pack me. They suck all the, all the air out of it and it just sucks it right down tight and flat. And that's how all our hearts are. Everything has been sucked right out and we're just a vacuum pack. And we desire so much to be filled with something. Because God created us to be, be full of something. And what does man do? He tries to fill it with everything that he can. He fills it with sinful things, fornication, adultery, pornography. He tries to fill it with drugs. He tries to fill it with booze. He tries to fill it with pleasures. He tries to fill it with, with money. He tries to fill it with all these things that he goes after trying to fill it. And he can't fill it, folks, because there's only one thing that can fill it. There's only one thing that can fill that void in our hearts. And that is the love of Jesus Christ himself. What was there at the beginning? Can you imagine what happened to Adam and Eve when they took of that fruit and they ate? And all of a sudden they were afraid. Can you imagine? All of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness, I'm naked. I don't want to clothes on. And they went and hid themselves under the trees and took leaves and covered themselves up. And there's the yard. Just scared to death. And here comes God. Adam. Adam, where are you? He says, I hear your voice, but I'm afraid because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? If you want to get a slight picture of it, let's say that, let's say that one of you were a baby, and you're lying right here, and you're you're bare naked. You have no clothes on, but you don't even know it. And all of a sudden, you're 20 years old, just like that, and you wake up, and you look around, and you see all these people. Oh my goodness, what would you do? We'd be jumping off this table. We'd be running, wouldn't we? We'd be hiding ourselves. We wouldn't want to face anybody ever in our life. We would be so embarrassed. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They went from a total innocence to a guilty, fearful, shameful image. And they tried to hide it. And we are born with that. Every one of us are born with that sinful, shameful image. Full of guilt. Everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. No man is righteous. No, not one. We have all sinned. And the only way. You know, God said that the day thou eatest of that fruit, you shall surely die. And God cannot lie. Now we all have to die. Everybody has to die. And they all died spiritually. There was no hope for man after that. None. Absolutely none. There's nothing that man could do to bring himself back to God. But God, in his great abundant mercy, he loved us so much. Let me just put it in conversation. Jesus, I told the people that they're going to have to die. And you know I can't lie. So death is the penalty for sin. Would you be willing to go down to the earth as a baby? Would you be willing to live there, to grow up, as man, would you be willing to take all the punishment of the sin of the world on you and let them kill you so that I didn't lie, but we can still have man back with us? And Jesus said, I will. 
Brothers and sisters, that is love. That is love. So Jesus came, and that's what he did. He took all our sins and put them on himself on the cross. Brothers, I can just hardly grasp it. This morning, what's the boy's name that got baptized? Emmanuel? It would have been impossible for Emmanuel to be forgiven this morning or whenever he was forgiven if Jesus had not hung on that cross. Did you know that this would be a waste of my time right now? I had to have nothing to talk about if Jesus would not have been on that cross. But because he was there. But because he was there, we could sing these songs that we sang. We could sing, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. But praise his name, he paid it. And I'm not even telling you something new. But I'm trying to encourage those of you that struggle sometimes. You know, sometimes we struggle because we have things in life. Well, this is why we struggle. Let's just put the blame where it goes. We struggle because there's a spirit that goes around us. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. He's called the devil. And he looks whom he may devour. He tries to destroy us. And this is how he does it. Now, all of us, you know, Brother Spike, right? And maybe you don't know that he used to be a drunk. He was worse than a drunk. He was an evil drunk. Okay? And I was his little brother. And it would hurt me sometimes. Now, I love Spike a lot. Spike and I, all these sins are gone. I don't need to mention his sins. Jesus took them all away. And, you know. But what I'm trying to say is this. The devil tried to destroy these things. The devil tried to destroy these things. But God took this. Jesus took this. And he forgave him all those sins. He gave him a new chance at life. And it's because he did that to Brother Malin that I learned to understand the word myself. I will always be grateful to Brother Malin. Because I was riding my horse down the road one night. And I, was, I loved horses. And I was small for my age. I had the right weight at that age. If I would go on a special diet, I could be a horse jockey, and that's what I wanted to be. And I was working with a guy with some thoroughbred horses on weekends. I'd ride my horse over there, and that's the direction I went. I went with him to the racetrack, and I was headed that direction. And I rode, I was just past Millen's house one night on a Friday night. My horse lost a shoe. And so I turned around, knowing that that horse could not go that far without a shoe. I went over back to his place. And you probably won't believe me when I say this, but it was like 7 o'clock at night, and Malin was still preaching at midnight. You probably wouldn't believe that when I said that, would you? <laughs> I was on his couch, and he just kept talking to me about Jesus, about the Lord, and all these things. And you know what? I never went back to that guy again. I never saw him again ever after that. I never went back. I took a totally different path. Because of that. I didn't get born again that night, okay? But I took a totally different path. And I am forever grateful to Malam for that. Because I don't know where I would be today if that wouldn't have happened. But that is how God works. Remember when the brother was saying that maybe there's somebody out there that you just need to share with. Or there's somebody that is hurting. Somebody that, and, and that's what we do. When we are fit for the kingdom, that means that <clears throat> Jesus Christ is living in our hearts. We have been forgiven all our sins. And 
He has humbled us. He, had, he has made us become meek. In other words, we have nothing to brag about except Jesus. That's all we have to brag about. You know, the thing is that once Malon had Jesus in his heart, he just knew everybody else had to have him too. And of course, being Amish, ah, the Amish can't handle that. You know, because they would have to give up some other things to do it, some cultural things. And I'm not here to talk about the Amish because that's not where our hope lies. Our hope lies in Jesus Christ. But let's not let things hold us back. Let's not let things hold us back. If we want to be fit for the kingdom, there's some things that we need to do. And if we are fit for the kingdom, I don't want to take too much time here, but if we are fit for the kingdom, then God calls us to something. I'm going to go to Luke 5, or uh, uh, Romans 5 is, is, is a favorite chapter for me, because in, in some of those trying times of my life, Romans 5 has been a very, very good blessing for me. And this is why. Remember, we had a baptism this morning. Remember how we are saved? By, we are saved through gra- by faith, through grace. It's a gift of God, lest we can boast. That's how we're saved. And in, in Romans 5, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See? We have, because we have been justified. And, and do we all know what justified means? Do we know what that is? When we have sinned, and we have sin in our heart, we cannot go to heaven. But when we repent, and Jesus forgives us, then we are justified, not sin. Justified, not sin. See what that? Justified. Remember that. You are justified. Justified, not sin. It's just the same as if you had never done a sin. See, when Jesus takes our sins, and he washes them away, then they're gone. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far our iniquities God will put from us. How far is the east from the west? Can somebody tell me how many miles the east is from the west? How many miles is it? How many miles is it from the north to the south? It's about 13,000 miles from the north to the south. Actually, 12,700 or something. Okay? Because the earth is actually 25,000 miles around. So from the north pole to the south pole is halfway. So it's almost 13,000 miles from the north to the south. How far is it from the east to the west? There is no distance. You can go east as long as you want to, and you're always going east. You can go around the world seven times, and you're still going east. So how far did he put our infirmities away from us? Forever. It's gone. It'll never come back. They're gone. That's what Jesus did when he put his sins as far as the east from the west. He totally demolished them. They're gone. They're, They're washed away in the blood. They're gone. So now we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access. Now listen, now we have access. When we have access to that room, that means we can unlock the door and go through, right? It gives us access into that room. He says, we have access by faith into this grace. See, it's by faith that we have access to this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now we can rejoice in that hope. But now listen to the next verse. This doesn't sound so good. It says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also. What? You mean when things go wrong in my life and they hurt me and I'm down and I'm beaten up, 
I glory in that? That's what he says, so it must be true. You know, the Bible can't lie. And then he says, why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hopeth, maketh not a shame. Now let's come back to Paul and Silas in prison. They had a tribulation, didn't they? They had a tribulation. But they gloried in that tribulation. They sang praises to God in that tribulation. They gloried in that tribulation. And through that, you know, it just worked. Patience, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Okay, so now they were patient. And then that patience brought an experience. And what an experience it was. The doors flew open. There was an earthquake and they were free. They experienced a jailer who was guarding them, who would have killed them, becoming saved and being baptized. And those type of experiences bring us hope. They bring us hope. So when things go wrong in our life, when, when it seems like we're up against the wall and we're in tribulation, let's remember that let's be patient. Tribula Job had to do that. Job had to be patient. It was a long time. But in that patience, he learned an experience. And what he learned was God working it out. And he blessed him with twice as much as he had before, with just as many children as he had before. And it gave him hope. And I think, that the, I think the faith at the end of Job was stronger than the faith of the beginning of Job. And look what his faith at the beginning did. It kept him from cursing God and dying like his wife told him. He said, you speak as a foolish woman. Shouldn't I take wrong from God? Shouldn't I take good? You know, if I'm willing to take good from God, shouldn't I take bad from God? He knew and recognized that his responsibility was simply submitting to God. Being patient tribulation and hope maketh not ashamed, it says in verse 4. We do not have to be ashamed when we have that hope in our hearts. We do not have to be ashamed. That's why we can say we are not ashamed to say the name of Jesus. We are not ashamed to stand on the street corner if we need to and proclaim Jesus Christ. Let them beat us up. That's just another tribulation that teaches us more patience. That's all. We can glory in that again. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He calls us to that. Because the love of God, and this is hope makes us not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God, listen, folks, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It is in our hearts and it is shed abroad. It, it flows out to all the people around us and they just cannot do anything about it. They can't, you can't kill the love of God. You can't. And brothers and sisters, I am convinced that if we want to save people, they have to feel the love of God in our hearts. That is what drew the people to Jesus because they could feel and sense this love. It was different than the Jews. It was different than the Pharisees that made you walk the line. This was a love that, that would, it was a love that they could come up and touch him and he would heal them. The Jews didn't do that. They said, well, if you wouldn't have seen, that wouldn't happen. See what I'm saying? And then Jesus, he said, oh, so who did the most sin? You know, this tower of Shalom that fell out, you know? Yeah. And if you keep reading those, some of those things, you'll see why the Jews were really, really angry with him. You can see why they wanted to kill him, because he just, you know, he just... And then it says this, For when ye were yet without strength, while we did not have any strength, we had no... We just couldn't even bear to get up. It says, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, he didn't die for the godly. 
He died for the ungodly. That means he died for me. He died for you. He died for all of us. It doesn't matter how big your sin was. It doesn't matter how evil you've been. Jesus died for you. He died for you. For scarcely for a rice man will one die. Yet peradventure maybe for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How can there be a bigger love than that, brothers and sisters? And if that love is in our heart, that's why it says, if you're going to fusion your place, it says, it says to forgive one another, even as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven you. If someone has a quarrel with another, don't waste your time being contentious. Let's not waste our time. You know, the churches are so full of struggles right now. And do you know why? I can tell you why. It's very plain. You know, this young wrong person came around to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? He says, to love thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Is that what we're seeing? Are we seeing people loving God with all their heart? They're loving each other as themselves. Are we seeing that? Or are we seeing people who are so stubborn? If it doesn't go their way, they'll go do their own thing. They don't submit. They don't, they don't, you know what I mean? There's just, there's just this selfishness in the world around us and it's creeping into churches. You know, if I can't do it my way, then I'm just not going to go along with it. And it's more important that they're right than it is that they love their brothers. It's way more important that I love you than I convince you that I'm the one that's right. Jesus didn't convince anybody he was right. When he was in front of Pilate, and Pilate questioned him, he just didn't say anything. He didn't have to. He knew where his heart was. He knew what the truth was. When he was in front of, of the Jews, they were trying to get two witnesses to agree with each other that, so they could put him to death, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They could not put Jesus to death. They could not find two witnesses that would agree. And it was impossible to put him to death until they had two witnesses. And so finally the high priest says that I, he was so indeged. I'm asking you by the living God that you tell me who you are. Now Jesus had to answer. He said, well, I'll just put my own words because I'm not looking it up. He says, from now on you will see me coming in the clouds of glory or whatever. And when he said that, the high priest said, now we don't need any more witnesses. He took his robe, he tore it apart, and said, you have all heard him blaspheme. We don't need any more witnesses. He's done it to himself. Jesus condemned himself. See that? Man couldn't do it. Man couldn't. He said, you can't take my life, but I give it. See? Jesus gave his life. They didn't come and take it away from him. They couldn't. He could just walk away. But he gave it. He gave it. You know, this is so something to me. Jesus gave his life so that he could give us the kingdom. And we try so hard not to give people what we have. We try to hang on to it. We try so hard to hang on to it, even we have to hurt people to hang on to it. And here he hurt himself so that he could give it. It's such a pure and a holy love that you cannot find anywhere else. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And that's why we praise him. That's why we praise him. I need to be finished. But I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 3. I love that chapter. There are certain chapters that stand out to me. And Colossians 3 gives us direction now. Okay, since we are now born again, and since we now have this kingdom within us, since we are meat for the kingdom, what are we going to do with our life? What are we going to do? We've already done it now, right? No. When Jesus looked out, he says, it is right to harvest. Pray that we can have workers in the harvest. We have work to do, folks. 
And it has to start with our thoughts. In Colossians 3, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ. Okay, the brother that got baptized this morning. It says in Romans 6, As when we are baptized unto death, and we are risen in a likeness of Jesus, rising from the newness of life when he came out of the grave. Okay? We are risen again with him in newness of life. We now have a different spirit within our heart. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, for Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. And that's what we need to do. And what is our affections on the earth? Brothers and sisters, it is the souls that Jesus Christ loves. That is where our affection should be. The souls that Jesus Christ loves, the souls that he died for, the souls that he wants to bring to himself. If we don't love those souls, brothers and sisters, we do not have the affection of Jesus Christ. We do not have the affections of above. Because all these other things are going to go. All the clothes and all the furniture and all the cars and all the other things. that we, we have to have them. We need them. We have to use them. We can't go without them. But it's not our affection. We just have them to, so that it fulfills the purpose of following God's will, which is saving people. That was Jesus' last command in Matthew 28. Is that we go out and we tell the world about Jesus. And we, come, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit like this morning. And then... Even after we've done that, we teach them to keep all the things that he has commanded us. That we keep them, that we don't lose them. Don't let it get away from you. Just hang on to the Spirit of God and be faithful. And I think Spike said a little bit something about his son was here last week and talked about in the presence of the Lord. And that's how we keep it, is walking in the presence of the Lord. We have to stay in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You are dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then she, shall ye also appear with him in glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, isn't that going to be the most glorious thing? When Jesus comes and we can appear with him in glory with him. You know, sometimes people talk about going to heaven because they'll see their mom or their dad and their brothers and sisters. And you know what? That's not even how it's going to be. We're not even going to have this old flesh and blood. It's going to be gone. You know why I want to go to heaven? You know why I want to go to heaven? Because I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to see Jesus. And I'm going to see the Father that has such a love for me that even in my sinfulness, he sent Jesus to die for me to pay for my sins. Brothers and sisters, we want to go to heaven. We want to see Jesus. And we're going to be just like him. And we're going to be with the Father. And we're going to sing glory and praise and honor forever and forever with the kingdom. I just can't grasp it. It's way, way beyond me for me to even understand. I just know that this, that if God was good enough to, to sit, give us eternal life while we were yet sinners, if we go on in Romans 5, it actually explains that. How much more? How much more is he going to do for us after we've been born again, after we've been saved? If he was willing to die for us while we were sinners, how much more will he do once we're saved? And now we're saved people. And God is going to work miracles. He's going to work wonders in our lives. We just, he just needs our heart. He just needs for us to be fit for the kingdom, meet for the kingdom. He needs for us to seek those things that are above, which are with Christ Jesus, and to go after those things. Then he says, you shall appear with him in glory. And he says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Oh, you know what a mortician does? Doesn't he embalm dead people? Are you telling me for sure? He says, mortify therefore your members which are on the body, on the earth. We have to mortify. That means we have to kill them. And then he names them, the members that we have to kill. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
We have to kill that out of our lives. This covetousness and all this stuff. All this jealousy and this envy and this hate and this bitterness. It has to die. And then he says, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. That's why the wrath of God is going to come on the children of disobedience. Because they don't die to these things. They keep living in these sins. God doesn't want us to live in sins. He sent Jesus to wash away our sin, to make us clean, to make us a new person that shines for him and glorifies him. We can't glorify him if we're living in sin. We're just putting a darkness on it. You can't put a light on a table and then put a bushel over it. So our sins have to be gone. And then he says, into which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them. See, don't, don't just point your finger at somebody else. We all lived in these things at one time or another. It says, but now you also put off all these. Oh, now he gets right into the heart. He says, now you put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Get rid of it. Let's not say filthy, stupid jokes. That's not portraying Jesus. That's portraying the world. That's what's in the world's hearts. We portray Jesus. We talk about him. We talk about love and salvation and peace and joy and love and long-suffering and patience. And then he says in verse 9, And lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man and his deeds and have put on the new man. Why did he say lie not one to another? Let's say you're feeling frustrated and somebody says, I think you're getting angry. No, I'm not. Don't do that. You're lying if you do that. You are angry. See? But that's the first response we'll do. Get all on it. You know, and why do you think he put it right there? Because he knew what our response was going to be. When someone says that you're not living right, you deny it. The first thing you do is you deny it. Oh, he's been at the slimmest man. We just deny it. That's what we do. And that's why he put it right there. He said, lie not against the truth. Lie not one to another. Seeing that you have put off the old man and put on the new. See, that's what the old man does. He, he, he defends himself and he, he tries to make himself be right when he's wrong. God doesn't want us to do that. Don't lie to one another. The truth is out anyway. Just admit it. I know, I messed up. Just admit it. And then repent. Say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I hurt you. I know I hurt you. And I was wrong for hurting you. I'm sorry. And just repent. And guess what? Your sin will be as far as east from the west. It's all gone. It's all over. And then we have that new peace again. So whenever you feel yourself... Maybe not feeling as peaceful as you should or could. Whatever you feel yourself, maybe, you know what I mean? Like something's lacking. You know what we need to do when that happens? Just go away alone. Get down on your knees and start talking to Jesus. Just talk to Jesus. He'll help you. He'll show you exactly what you have to do. But then don't be stubborn. See? He'll show you what to do and then you'll convince yourself in your thoughts. Eh. I don't really need to do that. Oh, that's not that important. Huh? And you won't do it. And then you'll keep on feeling miserable. Just do it. Just repent.